Baker, as we are every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're an hour earlier this time as we normally are on a Wednesday night. Usually we go at 6 o'clock Pacific. We're on at 5 o'clock Pacific because I love the Oklahoma State Cowboys and they are playing football tonight at 6 o'clock Pacific. So uh, I'm excited about that. They have the Texas A&M Aggies in what we all know is I don't know all the all of the uh, the, the sponsorship names, but I do know it's it's the old Alamo Bowl in San Antonio. So excited about that. Austin, excited for today's show. A lot to talk about, and good evening. Yes, good evening, Casey. A lot to talk about, but before we get started with the Dodgers talk, you have a score prediction for the Oklahoma State game tonight? I think Oklahoma State is going to get beat by a couple of touchdowns. That is my score <laughs> prediction, and I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek in that it seems like every time I get I get too confident in this Oklahoma this has been one of those up and down years for I mean they lost they got just the, their brains beat out by South Alabama and then also got their brains beat out by UCF and then beat OU and and K State and you know so it's been but I do think they're probably going to lose tonight but I hope that does not happen. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll be cheering them on for you Casey, but a lot to be a lot to talk about as far as the world of the Dodgers obviously Yamamoto is a officially signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now the team has announced it and in a corresponding move, they DFA Brian Hudson, uh, a lot to talk about even, even still in an off season that seems to be a dream for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And for a lot of Dodgers fans, because of how much star power they are getting this off season, it has been very exciting. No doubt about it. And the corresponding move, we, th- we figured that the Dodgers were going to try to make a trade and do the trade scenario so they didn't have to go the DFA route, of which they did. It's obvious they went trade route first, but the problem is you have that January 4th timeline. So to get physicals in and to get everything official, the Dodgers was really, they ran out of time in terms of the type of trade they want to make. We know that the Dodgers, they have enough prospect capital to really finish this offseason off perfectly but you don't want to do it in haste. You don't want to do it, say, in 24 hours and make a decision just to say that you're making a decision before the Yamamoto signing and give up a whole bunch of prospect capital that is super valuable in a hasty, too quick of a decision. So the Dodgers, they, you know, I think that they came down to the realization that somebody had to, let's go the DFA route, that gives us more time to work a trade scenario and we have told you, going back all the way to the show, we actually had a show that covered if the Dodgers had to go the DFA route, who would be the candidates that would be the most likely? Brian Hudson, if you go back to that show, we've said it many times on shows since then. Brian Hudson was candidate number one. There was absolutely no question. I know people have thrown around Ricky Venasco. We've tried to explain that was not even a thought by the Dodgers. Gus Varlin was another name. Gus Varlin was 98 with 20 inches of arm side run to it. His stuff plus, when you look at just overall stuff, is as good as almost any reliever in the game. Just finished, as far as his season last year, not healthy. So Gus Varlin, I mean, he wasn't really an option either. This was the easiest choice of all the choices in the offseason. It was the most obvious. And the thing about it, Austin, is is that Brian Hudson, I, I look, I don't think he's been DFA'd yet, so he can't, if he does clear waivers, which neither one of us think he's going to, but if he does, the Dodgers will reassign him 
to the a minor league contract. He will be off the 40-man immediately. And so the Dodgers will keep him if he does clear waivers. I think first they're going to try the trade market for him. They have seven days. Used to be 10, but they have seven days now to trade him. And if they can't get a trade done and he doesn't get picked up on the waiver wire, then he can be reassigned and outrighted to a minor league assignment. We don't think that will happen, though, but what are your thoughts on Brian Hudson? Yeah, first off, I, th- I think you made a couple of really good points right there. This is something that we've been talking about quite a bit, and it has nothing to do with Brian Hudson himself. I don't think he did anything wrong to deserve being DFA'd. I think this has to do just with the overwhelming amount of talent that the Dodgers have and with the value of 40-man roster spots on this roster right now with Brian Hudson. He's a guy who came into the organization and really did pitch really well for the Dodgers, especially in Oklahoma City this past season. You're talking about him, talking about big, tall left-hander that's able to strike out a lot of guys too. Uh, has been, had a history of getting quite a lot of ground balls. You look at his ERA, FIP, and XFIP and Oklahoma City last year all really good had a couple appearances with the Los Angeles Dodgers but I think with Brian Hudson for the Dodgers I think there wasn't an avenue for him to get a lot of playing time even though he's a left-handed pitcher I think given all of the choices that the Dodgers have and given the talent that they have on the 40-man roster he just happened to be the odd man out so As you mentioned, I think they're going to look for some sort of trade partner since they DFA'd him to try to find Brian Hudson some type of home. And I think other teams are going to covet a guy like him, a big, tall, left-handed pitcher uh, that has really good extension to him. But obviously, with the signing of Yoshinobu Yamamoto, that is a huge get for the Dodgers. I think they looked for some other trade avenues, potentially with some of their other prospects. There's been a lot of rumors about Class A and Bieber. There's been other rumors about potential other trades. I think that's them looking at different avenues, knowing they had a couple of days before they had announced Yamamoto. In the end, they didn't want to rush into a decision, as you said, given the value, the very high value of other guys in this in this roster, 40-man roster guys at the upper levels of the minor leagues. I don't think it is wise to rush into a trade for those guys just to trade those guys. Even though you might be getting a lot of talent, you want to be smart and you want to get the right players for them. So unfortunately, that means Brian Hudson had to be DFA'd. I I expect him to be picked up by another organization. And when he does, I'm going to be super happy for him because I think he's going to get a better opportunity with that organization as well. So Brian Hudson did nothing wrong to get DFA'd. But with the roster, Dodgers 40-man roster situation, it is an unfortunate thing. But it comes with Yoshinobu Yamamoto, which is a huge and necessary get for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't see it as an unfortunate. I know what you're saying when you say unfortunate, meaning it's it's always disappointing as a player when somebody DFAs you because it feels like they're giving up on you. It feels like they're cutting you, right? But I mm-hmm. think this is a positive thing all the way around. Yes, Roy, good evening. The Dodgers do have seven days to trade to trade Brian Hudson, and he could be part of any package that the Dodgers use to go make a trade for a Shane Beaver and Emmanuel Class A or a Randy Ar- or anybody they wanted to go trade for. So, yes, it, for the next seven days, 
He could be part of any trade package the Dodgers put together. So, I, like I said, I totally understand what you're saying, the disappointing part of it for Brian Hudson. But actually, I promise you, he's not viewing it this way. They've had the conversations. He knew it was coming. And the Dodgers have explained to him very clearly, this is not an indictment on you. This is just a, the fact that we are the Dodgers and we have just so much so much talent and, and roster spots are so valuable. This just had to happen. And by the way, Brian, this is actually better for you because you're going to go somewhere else. He is going to get picked up, and here's why. In the This is not like the Rule 5 draft. This is totally different in the sense that because it's a DFA situation, all the other has to all the other team has to have is room on a 40 man roster, correct? Not the 26. So, I mean, out of the out of all of the major league teams out there, there is going to be a team somewhere that has the ability to put a 6 foot 8 lefty that had a 2.35 ERA, a 13.38 strikeouts per 9 innings average last year with extension of about seven feet, okay, there is going to be somebody that has a 40-man roster spot waiting for him. And it's going to be a team that has a better runway to the major leagues than the Dodgers do. So Brian Hudson is going to win in this situation. The Dodgers lose in the sense that they lose him, but they win because they get Yoshinobu Yamamoto, and it buys them more time to come up with the trade package. Hey, to go get an Emmanuel Class A, guys, you're going to have to give up an Emmett Sheehan or a Kyle Hurt or a Nick Frasso. Hey, Emmanuel Class A, he bypassed his, his arbitration year. So for the next three years, his contract is locked in place without even the arbitration process. And check this out. Next year, he's going to be making a grand total of $2.5 million with no option towards arbitration. Okay, in 2025, 4.5, and in 2026, 6 million. That is the, probably the most team friendly contract in all of the major leagues, Austin. You're better at this kind of stuff than I am. So, to get an Emmanuel Classe, not to mention a Shane Beaver, you are going to have to give up an Emmett Sheehan or a Nick Frasso or a Kyle Hurt or, or maybe two out of the four between Sheehan, Kyle Hurt, Frasso, Landon Knack then probably also one of your catchers, then probably one of your outfielders, and then probably one of your higher-ranked, lower-level minor league prospects. That's what it's going to take to get a guy as talented as Class A that has that kind of contract left. Am I overblowing that? I, I don't believe so, no. And obviously this comes from rumors about the Dodgers perhaps being interested in Shane Bieber and Emmanuel Classe. And the real prize in that trade would be Classe. Classe has been one of the better or one of the best relievers in all of Major League Baseball over the past couple of seasons. He's still young. He's 26. He would be a, a dynamic and electric force for the bullpen. And so there's very good reason why the Dodgers would be interested in him. And especially over the past couple of days, once there was reports about Yamamoto signing with the Dodgers and them needing to free up spots on the 40 man roster, they had oh, a yeah. period of about five or six days where they were looking for some sort of trade partner to clear up a roster spot for a Yamamoto. Now with that, 
you want to make sure that you are not rushing through the process of the trade and giving up too much value or not getting the correct person or correct position of need. I think with the bullpen, getting a force like a Emmanuel Class A would be something that would help the Dodgers very much so. Is that the best use of the guys that you have at the upper levels of the minor leagues who might not have a role? Or are there other positions of need where you can use those trade resources to fill in other needs? We talk about it needing some sort of reinforcement towards the back end of the pitching staff. That trade with Bieber and Class A might have helped fix that. But if you give up all your prospects for that, you don't have prospects to go out and fill the left field position, which there might be a hole, especially if you get rid of a Michael Bush or a Miguel Vargas in that trade. So I think with this, that trade could still happen and it could still be smart to get Class A and Bieber. However, I think the Dodgers have to explore all their options and they also have to weigh, is giving up all these prospects for a relief pitcher worth it? Yeah, relievers are a little bit easier to find. We've seen the Dodgers be able to develop relievers. Talk about Ryan Brazier. We talked about other relievers that they've been able to get through other avenues that have been really. Yeah, all of these guys, Dodgers have been able to develop them. So do you want to take the years of work that you put into several guys who have really bright futures and put into a reliever when you could potentially find a reliever cheaper, perhaps on a minor league deal, who might not have the track record as Class A, but you might be able to use those other avenues to go ahead and get a left fielder, go ahead and get an all-star outfielder, help improve this outfield, or Let's say you still want to add another starting pitcher because we don't necessarily know when Walker Buehler is going to come back to the big leagues as far as when he's going to be healthy, when they want to have him start, could have him start later into the season to fill into the postseason. You might want to go get another starter with some of those resources as well. So I think being smart and not rushing into a trade I think was a good decision right now because the Dodgers have to figure out what do they prioritize most. And so with that, they decided to go to the DFA route. That buys them a little bit more time to figure out what they are wanting to do with the other positions of need, with left field, with some of the other depth that they need at starting pitcher. No doubt. And so it goes like this, Austin. Everybody knows that the Dodgers are getting ready to sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Everybody that has any kind of interest on earth in every country that has the ability to have any kind of sporting news knows this is getting ready to happen, right? So you can bet that all the other the other organizations in the major leagues know this as well. So Cleveland calls and they say, hey, man, how about Class A and Bieber, right? And if you're Friedman, you're thinking, well, hell yeah. <laughs> of course I'm going to listen to that. What are you thinking? And so then if you're Cleveland, you're thinking, okay, it's like that used car salesman at the 11 11 o'clock hour, right? You keep negotiating, and they keep trying to get you on deals right there at the last. Hey, boy, this this offer won't be here tomorrow, man. This is a take it or leave it. If you walk out that door, man, you're leaving money on the table because I'm telling you, man, we bottomed out with this, and we can't offer any lower than this. So if you walk out, this deal won't be ready for you tomorrow, right? So if you're Cleveland, it's kind of that used car salesman pitch at the 11 o'clock hour, of which if you follow Dodgers Daily at all, you know, I know, 
Austin knows, we all know, the Dodgers do not operate that way. But you still have to listen, right? So you get these rumors out about Class A, you get the rumors out about Beaver, Beaver, and you get the Dodgers fans all excited about it, and then you hope that against the clock, the Dodgers will make a irrational move, something that they said it a couple of different times before the Dodgers went out and got Yamamoto, before they got Glass now, their number one starters, they had to go overpay. They didn't have a choice. They had to get a number one starter. Would you agree with that? Didn't matter what you gave up. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, they're yeah, not in that had, position yeah. anymore. They feel their number one starter need, right? Okay, so a Class A and a Beaver, they're add-on. If the Dodgers stopped right now, I think they're probably the odds-on favorites to win the World Series. They weren't that before they got Glass now and Yamamoto, in my opinion, and they weren't by a long shot. So at this point, Austin, you go back, Dodgers will overpay, and I think that what what with with three years remaining in in, in on the contract for Class Eight with no arbitration process to it all, Cleveland was hoping the Dodgers would do something last minute, irrational, give up a Sheehan, give up a Landon Knack, give up a Diego Cartaya, then give up somebody like a Josue De Paula. They were hoping the Dodgers would do that. Not going to happen. Now, it, yeah, I, now the trade will probably will happen, but it's not going to be because the Dodgers made a hasty decision. It's going to be because they thought through it and they feel like this makes the Dodgers better, right? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it was a, probably a smart thing by Cleveland to do to try to see if the Dodgers acted in some sort of desperation in order to clear up 40-man roster spots before Yamamoto. So I give them props for that. But I also give props for the Dodgers for being smart and being uh, careful as far as how they want to approach this. Uh, they have a lot of talent. But now that they've gotten their biggest needs, now that they've gotten the number one starting pitchers in both Yamamoto and Glass now, and now that they've gotten Shohei Otani, they have filled kind of the needs that we talked about going into the season. And now they have options. Now, needs versus wants, Austin. Case? They filled their needs. Now they have wants. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. And they have options as far as what they want to do in left field. They could play a Michael Bush. They could play Miguel Vargas. They could play Chris Taylor. They do have options out in left field for the back end of the starting rotation. They do have a ton of talent, which we've talked about a lot at the back end of the starting pitcher, whether you're talking about Sheehan, Gavin Stone, Nick Frasso, Landon Knack, all of those guys. They do have a lot of options as far as, far as what they want to do. I think they would prefer to get a little bit more security, especially because of the team-friendly nature of Shohei Otani's contract and the need to just overwhelm this roster to go after a World Series push. I think they would want to do that. But now that they filled their needs, they can be strategic and smart as far as how they approach that. And so they don't have to make a trade with the Guardians for Class A and Bieber. They don't have to do that. That could be an option that they still pursue, but it can be now be on the Dodgers' terms instead of being on the other team's terms, which going into this offseason, knowing that you needed a number one starting pitcher, I think that was something the Dodgers knew that they were going to have to overpay. Now 
they can be a little bit more picky as far as what they want to do in order to complete this roster to make a World Series push. No doubt about that. Hey, we have a wonderful crowd already this evening. We want to thank everybody for joining. And again, it was an hour earlier than we normally are, so I appreciate you hopping on. I want to also remind, hey, we do have our Super Chat set up. If you look in the chat down there, there is a dollar sign right next to the chat. If you click that, you could be the very first Super Chat ever for Dodgers Daily. Now, how cool would that be? I haven't actually even thought about it long enough to think of what prize we would give the first Super Chat that ever in the history of Dodgers Daily, but it would be something really cool. So we're going to have some really cool Super Chat prizes coming down the line. Haven't had a chance to sit down and think about all of that yet. Probably some guest appearances, some stuff like that. You know I'm not afraid of any of that kind of stuff, right, Austin? So oh, a lot yeah. of cool stuff oh, coming yeah. down the line. Okay, so some more trade talks going on. Yamamoto signed today. By the way, who you're seeing right here is Nick Frosso. We saw Brian Hudson pitch just a minute ago, and then I'm going to play Landon Knack. Let me get you on Landon Knack here before I move on, just so we can continue to talk some Dodgers baseball and some hot stove talk. So, Class A, first of all, let's finish this conversation on Class A. Austin, just from your perspective, what type of, of haul would it, would it take? Yeah, I, I, it's going to take probably one of Michael Bush, Miguel Vargas. It's going to take um, perhaps two of the pitchers that you have within the system, and then maybe a Diego Gartai. It's going to take a massive haul in order to get a Class A. Shane Bieber is not going to take as much because he only has one year left of control before he becomes a free agent. It is going to take a massive haul, and I don't think that – is the wisest thing to do for a relief pitcher because relievers tend to be a little bit more versatile or at least volatile, I think is the better word to say, than some of the other positions kind of go up and down year to year with relievers. And you're able to find them for significantly cheaper and get similar level of production. Class A obviously has a huge uh, pass record as far as how good he has been. I think the Dodgers can find that elsewhere and they can use those types of prospects of Bush. Some of the starting, some of the pitchers that they have within the system, maybe a Cartaya to get other, uh, fill other positions of need, I should say. Yep. So you just saw Landon Knack. You so you've seen pictures of, you've seen video of Brian Hudson. He was the big lefty. Then you saw Emmett Sheehan. You saw Nick Frosso, Landon Knack. And then here is, River Ryan. So I wanted to show you what would the Dodgers be giving up if they did go get an Emmanuel Classe or a Shane Bieber. Now the Shane Bieber part of it, I know that he's dropped velocity, but I think his not necessarily him, but his structure. I think when the Dodgers go get if they go get a fifth starter, an innings eater type of guy, Austin, I think it's a rental. I think it's a one year guy. It's a guy you take a chance on at ten to maybe fifteen million dollars. And if it doesn't work out, then you say to heck with it, and it doesn't have to because then after this next year, the contract is up, correct? And again, I said this on the last show, this is where the Dodgers are really in a position of advantage. That fifth starter, Austin, only has to be average. Doesn't have to be great. Just has to be a guy that can get you through five innings, maybe six innings every time they go out. And then also... It doesn't even have to be a guy that you even roster on a postseason roster, because we've said the three game, you know, the the best out of the the best out of three, right? I mean, those are 
situations to where you use what? Maybe you use three pitchers and then the best out of – what does it go? Best out of three, then best out of five, then best out of seven. Okay, then the best out of five series, then you're looking at using probably four. And then the best out of seven series – four you could get by with right I mean with the way yeah. that they do it with the TV so the Dodgers can be very picky I think it needs to be a guy that's on a one-year contract 10 to 15 million dollars and it needs to be a guy that that I think it's an overpay at this point if you go get another number one number two type of guy I think it needs to be a guy that is definitely squarely a number four number five type pitcher because I think that fits your salary structure and or if it's in a trade scenario like Bieber, then it also fits your prospect capital structure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Not I, necessarily I think, I think Bieber makes, himself, but a pitcher like that in a trade. Yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because the Dodgers could use that for to fill other needs as well. I think right now what you're talking about is the Dodgers need to fill <laughs> innings in during the regular season. There's 800 to 900 innings that the Dodgers need to fill from their starting pitchers. Uh, And right now they could use a guy who could be a bulk inning type guy, give them some innings. Uh, And so I think with that, you're talking about guys like a Shane Bieber who would do a great job with that and has the upside of being a Cy Young pitcher in the past or a guy like a Lucas Giolito who has mentioned, if you're able to get Lucas Giolito on a one-year kind of prove-it contract, I think that would be very beneficial for the Dodgers. He would have the upside of what he's done in the past, but also be able to provide innings because he's been reliable in the past. I think with the with the volatility of some of the injuries that the Dodgers potentially have on their roster or past injury history of some of the starting pitchers on the Dodgers roster. I think that would be something that would be incredibly beneficial, but for the playoff roster, I don't think that this has to be a guy that has to be a priority for the postseason for this. I think it'd be great if you could get another number one type starter that would just add so much more depth to this roster, but I don't think it has to be that right now you have those options but with that, you have guys to where if you needed four starting pitchers, you have Yamamoto, Glasnow, Bueller, and Miller. If you add Kershaw to that mix, you have five with him coming back mm-hmm. potentially towards the end of the season. You do have options right now as far as what you can do for the starting pitchers. But I believe um, right now, I think we should get – we have a couple of super chats, some of the first ever oh, super nice. chats that we should Very probably nice. mention. Uh, and we should – Go back. There was one a little bit of go from uh, Jeremy Bird, dollar ninety nine. That says go blue. Uh, awesome, thank you, Jeremy. First ever super chat, and then a couple other ones that just came in recently, which is uh, which is pretty exciting for you, Casey. So I'll let you go ahead and read those. It is okay. So it says to Motley, thank you to Motley. Thanks for all you do, Casey and Austin. I'm on Team Bake. See what we have through first half. Reassess at the deadline. There appears to be. No off-season discounts anyways. Yeah, no off-season discounts, and that is because of the the way the wild card is. No team right now could convince their fan base that they're in rebuild mode. Everybody is in win-now mode because everybody is eligible to make the playoffs because it's so much easier to get in. Tamatly, if you ever read his comments, or if you come into the chat and read his comments, Tamatly is one of the most intelligent baseball fans that I have ever 
read comments from. He's one of the the, 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 the perfect examples of why I'm so proud of what we built here at Dodgers Daily. Just an awesome community. And Tamatli is the leader of that, definitely. Yeah, one, yeah 100%. And then we have uh, another super chat from Stage 1. He said they should just sign Giolito to a one-year contract. I agree. Thank you so much for the super chat. Totally agree with that. I think it's going to come down to Lucas Giolito's as far as his options. Because if you... Uh, he might be looking for a multi-year deal, or at least he might be getting offers for a multi-year deal. If that is the case, I don't know if that's the avenue that the Dodgers should go down as far as offering a multi-year deal to a starting pitcher who has declined a little bit in his production, who's getting a little bit older, especially with some of the young guys that you have in the system. Uh, but I think if you can get Giolito on a one-year contract, one-year deal, I think he would be somebody that would fit this team perfectly and would fit with the culture of Los Angeles as well and has the upside to be a really good starting pitcher as well. I think he, if you can get him on a one-year contract, would be a slam-dunk home run signing for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't have any insight on this, but I just do think they could. I think Lucas Giolito would take a one-year prove-it contract to play with Shohei Otani, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, probably a Clayton Kershaw, and come and win a World Series. I think, and also to come to the Dodgers and get this type of instruction, the instruction in the Dodgers system. Hey, don't believe me, man. I mean, believe all the players that I ask about this, about the instructional system, and don't just believe the players. Believe the players like Kevin Gowdy and all the other players that have been in other organizations that are now with the Dodgers. They will point blank tell you that the instructional system with the Dodgers, you are seeing Giolito here, is absolutely second to none, and it is it is just absolutely elite. So I think Giolito would take that one-year deal if he would. I think that would be a situation that would be absolutely perfect for the Dodgers. So a situation like that doesn't have to be him, but an innings eater, a guy that doesn't have to be a number one, a guy, again, that, that could just – kind of anchor the back end of your rotation but again Austin I'm going to say it this is the the advantage advantageous position the Dodgers are in you're in a position because you got Shohei Otani for next year don't forget the reason the biggest reason why I think you, your your next guy that you get needs to be a one-year rental is because Shohei Otani is coming back next year to pitch right you also have Dustin May another reason why I think you hold off on Class A you don't give up a Nick Frosso, somebody like that at this point, because Dustin May is coming back this year at some point. And who better to give a chance to be a high-leverage reliever than that 99-mile-an-hour two-seam of Dustin May, correct? And then Tony Gonsolin is going to come back. So I think a one-year rental at about 10 to $15 million is absolutely 100% the way to go there. And, and again, if the Dodgers don't do that, hey, that guy also might be Clayton Kershaw. You know, I mean, so if you want to say, let's just make that last guy instead of being Lucas Giolito, instead of being Shane Bieber, let's just make that last guy Clayton Kershaw. I would have zero problems with that as well. So the Dodgers are yeah, in I, a really good position right now, no doubt about it. Yeah, I think the Dodgers are in a really good position. And I think your point about it being a one-year rental actually goes even a little bit deeper than that as well, not just about Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, but I think also – if you're talking about a Lucas Giolito, let's say he signs a two-year deal worth about 
I don't know, 15 to 20 ish million dollars per year. Next year, he would lock up a rotation spot as well. And I think what you what the advantageous part of a one year contract as opposed to a two year contract is it also allows you not just for Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin, but it also allows some of the younger starting pitchers that you have in this system to get another year to potentially prove themselves and earn a spot in the starting rotation. And if they're able to stick in the starting rotation, that's going to be just create a ton of roster flexibility for the Los Angeles Dodgers financially. That's going to allow them to fill some other holes because a guy that comes up from your farm system isn't going to cost you 15 to $20 million. That's going to cost you the league minimum. It's going to cost you $500,000. The value of a guy like a Bobby Miller isn't just that he is a very good electric pitcher. It's also that right now he does not cost a lot to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So they're, able to use those resources elsewhere with a one-year deal for Lucas Giolito. He fills a need for this year, but if you sign him to a multi-year deal, I think that clogs up a hole that could be filled by a younger guy in the system that could create additional roster flexibility for the future. So I think signing a guy to a one-year deal should be the plan for the Dodgers. It's going to create opportunities. It's going to fill a need right now. And I don't think you have to give a multi-year deal to this. Now, I guess a question that has been brought up is, uh, in the past is should they go after a guy like a Bieber or Lucas Giolito or should the Dodgers target some sort of left-handed starting pitcher and we know Kershaw is going to be out a majority of the season or at least half of the season uh, Dodgers have not resigned him if they are going to resign him I think both you and I would anticipate that probably won't come till Either there's some sort of big trade where a bunch of the 40-man roster spots are given up or until after spring training starts when some of the guys get eligible to be added to the 60-day IL. But right now, the Dodgers don't have a lot, really any left-handed starting pitchers. Do you think it should be something that the Dodgers, given that they're in an opportunity where they can explore several different options, should they be looking for specifically a left-handed starting pitcher or should they be advantageous as far as the best pitcher they feel like is available, even if that means they have no left-handed starting pitchers besides a Ryan Yarbrough who can fill in that role if needed? I don't think the Dodgers should specifically target a lefty just to say they have a lefty. Jesus Lazardo would probably be the number one option. That you know, Then you could have maybe a Blake Snell or a Jordan Montgomery. But I think if the Dodgers just made the, the, the statement that, hey, we want a lefty period, and and we are going after a left-handed starter. I think at that point they would just dive in all their prospect capital to go get Jesus Lazardo. at that point. I think that would probably be the avenue that they went. But, again, I don't think the Dodgers should look at it that way. Just compile the best arms you can. Hey, these guys turn the ball right with their sinkers. They turn the ball right with their with their change-ups. They turn the ball left with their sweepers and their and their sliders. They, they ride the ball to top of the zone with their fastballs, and they tumble it with their change-ups as well. So these guys are ambidextrous. If you look at their splits, they're, they're only going to get more ambidextrous as their stuff gets better. So I want the best pitchers that you can get. I don't care if they're right-handed or left-handed. The Dodgers have three left-handed relievers on staff right now, Alex Vesey, Caleb Ferguson, Ryan Yarbrough. 
How many left-handed relievers can you really have? Now, if you want to tell me that you don't trust Alex Vesia or that you don't trust Caleb Ferguson or Ryan Yarbrough, that's an entirely different scenario. Then that's a situation to where you need to get rid of them and go get some other lefties that you do trust. But at the moment, I just can't imagine a team needing more than three left-handed relievers. Yeah, I think that's fair as far as the reliever portion. I think for the starting pitching portion, I think this has to be something that at least the Dodgers investigate. I think you're right as far as the Dodgers should get, regardless of whether they throw right-handed or left-handed, the best starting pitcher that they can for the right deal, again, being that one-year deal. Or if you get an opportunity where it's worth it to get another number one, number two, number three type starter in a trade, just get Kershaw then. Potentially do that. Resign well. Kershaw. I think I think Kershaw can be one of those guys that you go ahead and get. And I think the Dodgers are seriously going to consider and probably will do that at some point. I think they could also potentially look at other avenues as far as a one-year deal. Uh, for left-handedly really real left-handed starting pitcher excuse me whether that's a Sean Manaya, he could potentially fill innings he's not going to be ultra dynamic as well Hungjin Ryu has been another guy that has been in rumors as well I'm a little bit concerned as far as the even more decrease in velocity but those could be options that the Dodgers pursue I don't see them as having the potential upside that that a Lucas Giolito would have so I would prefer to have a Lucas Giolito just because I think there could be more to gain from getting a guy like him uh and he could he has a past of being a really good almost ace level starting pitcher as opposed to some of the other guys but I think they can still explore that to fill in some of those innings they don't have to be dynamic they don't have to be aces they have to be there they have to be healthy I think another guy like James Paxton could be another guy that they look at although he has a little bit of a history of dealing with injuries so I don't know if you want to go with that route I think there are options that the Dodgers can look at for a left-handed starting pitcher but I don't think that has to be a necessity to get if you're the Dodgers. Okay, so let me think outside the box here. If you're just saying, hey, we want just a left-handed starter to fill that fifth spot in the rotation. Who they're seeing on the screen right now, Austin? Alec Gamboa. Now, let me explain this, okay? You don't have roster spots for him right now. He is not going to get on the 40-man roster until spring training. So, whenever you put Dustin May on the 60-man, when you put Tony Gonsolin on the 60-man, or if you – okay, so, Austin, how about this? You sign Clayton Kershaw, right? He immediately goes on the 60-man ro- or uh, IL, right? Okay? Mm-hmm. Well, that's three spots right there on your 40-man roster that will be available in spring training. Why not put Alec Gamboa on that and let's see what he can do? He's a guy that we've seen reaches 99. He has been a starter his entire career, okay? He just got moved to relief. He has starter-type stuff. Okay, he, he is he's a guy that, that is very, very, very talented. Okay, so if you're just going to say, hey, we need a lefty for that number five spot to eat innings, just put Alec Gamboa on the 40-man roster after you DFA guys once the pitchers and catchers report and let him be that fifth starter. That's To me, that's the way you go there if it's not Kershaw. If, yeah, if you're I, just going to say we need a lefty. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a really – 
interesting and outside the box idea yes. that I hadn't even kind of thought about. You do have guys in this system, even though you don't, if you look at the upper levels of the farm system, especially on fan graphs, you don't see a left-handed pitcher that is immediately there, but they are left-handed relievers who have had a history of being starters that you can throw out there. Be even just like an opener type, go ahead and pitch two, three innings and then be able to, even maybe even four innings as well and be able to work and see what these guys have as well. I think that would be an outside the box option uh, that you could certainly. So what about Kershaw for three innings and Gamboa for three innings? And now you have a six inning left-handed starter in your fifth spot. I, I think if it, I think especially if you're able or Yarbrough, to give say Yarbrough because Kershaw is going to be in Let's say Yarbrough the first three and then Gamboa three after that. What about that? I, th- I think that is an option that the Dodgers could potentially pursue if they're looking at some of the free agent left-handed pitchers. They're not they're not liking what they're seeing. I think with a Lazardo, I think with a Scooble, two guys that I think the Dodgers would prefer to have in their rotation are going to cost a lot, and especially if you want to utilize your trade pieces to fortify the outfield that might not be an option i think get putting a gamble in there could be an option that the dodgers try to pursue we talked about it on the video that we did yesterday uh gamboa has a ton of talent and this would be an absolute dream come true for him to be able to get this opportunity i think he's going to get an opportunity at some point if the dodgers decide to utilize it if he comes out and does really well in spring training he could earn that opportunity as well especially if the Dodgers are looking for a left-handed pitcher to come up and be a starter or opener fill in some innings as well yeah that just kind of outside the box there if you just if you're just literally going to pin yourself down into saying we need at least one left-handed starter I think instead of getting one left-handed starter I think you can get creative and make two of your lefties Ryan Yarbrough being one of your swing men and then Alec Gamboa or somebody like that could be a swing man as well I think you take two of your lefties to make them that one lefty starter in the fifth spot. That That's the outside of the box thinking that I would do there as far as that goes. Hey, we have a lot of comments that we have not gotten to. We have a wonderful lobby tonight. Again, Austin, it's been wonderful having all this growth, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, it is It is truly amazing to see the growth that we've seen at Dodgers Daily. And we can't say thank you enough to the listeners, to the people who've commented, liked, shared, subscribed, all of that stuff, who have viewed the Dodgers Daily content. We put a lot of work into this, and we're very grateful for you guys. No doubt about it. We Austin and I work very, very hard at this to get the videos that you see here and just the, the, the understand. And more so what Austin and I try to do, we get the vibe of the organization so you don't necessarily need to have to have inside scoop because it's like whenever you have teammates that play with each other a lot in terms of on the field and 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 being teammates for a long periods of time together, you already know what your teammate's going to do before they do it, right? You anticipate that. So when you're around the organization like Austin and I are, the reason why we know Daniel Hudson's going to be the number one DFA target or the reason why you know they're going to go trade before they go DFA, the types of stuff that, that we, we, we have – been pretty accurate with is because we just simply know the vibe of the organization we know these guys we know the people that are making the decisions we know how they think and so even without even necessarily having to use any of our sources which we have but we don't use them because we don't like to be the scoop type of guys it it allows you to be accurate in those scenarios because you just know how these people think so we, we work very hard at getting those type of angles 
and we certainly appreciate the great support that we have had. So let's get to some of the comments. Roy, good evening, Roy Craig. Good evening to you, Danielle Finn. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, it says, hello, been enjoying your show the last few weeks. Thank you so much for joining, and I hope you keep coming back to Dodgers Dogs as part of the Dodgers Daily Network. We certainly enjoy this show and, and hosting it every Monday or every Sunday, Wednesday and Friday. Hep C, good evening. I don't like Bieber and Class A. Bieber is declining and one year left on his deal. Any reliever can't be trusted on a year-to-year basis. That is a great point, Austin. Relievers are so volatile, especially when you're going from an environment like Cleveland to Los Angeles. So you're going to a new team, which is tough enough to begin with. You're getting put into high-pressure situations, and then also in environments that, I'm telling you, the environment at Dodger Stadium with 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 all of the talent that, that the Dodgers have assembled with the recent signing of of everybody that they've signed with Shohei and, and Yoshinobu and Glass now, it's going to be different for any reliever coming to this Dodgers team. So the volatility there, who's to say uh, Chris Martin, like the Dodgers have gotten, won't be better than the guy that you just paid a million, uh, trillion dollars for, right? Because relievers are volatile. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and something to keep in mind. Relievers are volatile. They change year to year and you can find hidden gems fairly easily or you get the Dodgers have a track record of hiding, finding hidden gems from the reliever market as well. So I think overpaying for the high value that Emmanuel Class A has earned and attained I don't know if that would be the wisest move. And I think that's a really good point about fitting in, especially with the incredibly high expectations that are on this Los Angeles Dodgers team. You don't know how they're going to react to that. And so you want to make sure that you find the right fit for the organization. Yep, no doubt about it. Hep C again. Hep C is one of our awesome posters too. If they want innings, they should just sign Giolito. That's the bandwagon I'm on. Then use the prospects for an offensive player, and I want an offensive player that has high bat-to-ball skills, a guy with speed, a guy that is a pest on the offense, a guy that steals bases, and a guy that's going to not strike out and score a lot of runs, be the run-scoring type guy because he's stealing a lot of bases, taking the extra base. I want that type of offensive player and or just a player that's so talented you just have to go get him, like in a Rosarina type. So I'm on that bandwagon. Go the free agency route for your fifth starter. Sign it to a one-year contract, ten to fifteen million dollars. Use all of your prospect capital, your 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 blocked prospects. Then go get the outfielder slash offensive player that makes sense for this team. I think at that point you have had maybe the best offseason, you know, of all time in terms of 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 making your team just unbelievable at that point. So Hepsi and I are on the total same page there. Paul, good evening. Paul Charles, hello, guys. I was wondering if that trade is coming of Shane Bieber and Emmanuel Classe. I think that was a lot of noise coming from Cleveland. Anytime you see also accounts that you, it's not like John Heyman or or some of the, the big guys that, that you're used to to passing, somebody like that, it, when it doesn't come from those guys, every single time that's the case, it's an agent or a player or somebody. Like these accounts that don't normally break big news – Okay, they know a player or an agent, and that agent specifically contacts them because they know that account will take a chance to get out news to become, you know, maybe a, a, a guy that had the scoop on one particular situation. Okay, so 
there is always, anytime it comes from a smaller account, trust me on this, there is always a narrative that is being used by somebody to use that account to gain leverage somewhere. So whoever has that scoop there, that came from somebody that was looking for leverage as far as whether it be from the Dodgers or whether it be from the Guardians. My guess it would be from the Guardians to try to get the Dodgers to see where their interest was at. And so I think there was some smoke there in terms of either the Cleveland or the Dodgers wanting to see what the interest was. Okay, how many prospects are you willing to give up? Where where is the I think they were trying to see where is the beginning points of the negotiations. I think all that's all that was. So I'm not saying that trade won't happen, but I'm saying all that was was just leverage to to try to figure out where each side is at at this point. So okay, Roy says Casey do the Dodgers still have one week to work on a trade when they DFA a player? Yes, after you DFA a player, you had used to be 10 days. Now you have seven days to find a trade, and that would be Daniel, or excuse me, not Daniel Hudson. Don't let me say that. Brian Hudson. If I say Daniel, please correct me, Austin. Brian yeah. Hudson, they do have seven days to trade him. They could put him in any trade package that they wanted to get any prospects or any players back that they wanted. Reminder also, we do have our Super Chat going. And so, hey, if you'd like to donate 50 cents or whatever you'd like, we've already had some wonderful donations tonight. Okay, William Andrews, let's go Dodgers. Yes, Oscar, Oscar Vargas, good evening. Can almost bet the Dodgers tried moving an end of the roster pitcher, but ultimately couldn't, which left them DFAing Hudson. Yeah, that that that's kind of what I'm thinking. The Dodgers, they just they weren't ready to put the package together that it would take to okay, so they're to so the, to get the guys that they want right now, they just weren't ready to put the pencil to the paper to the package to get rid of the guys. Yeah, I, I think you're right with that. They have to be smart. They have to be prudent with their choices. And especially we've talked about these and we've covered and we pride ourselves about covering the minor league system oh, yeah. as well and talking to you about how talented these guys are. That's why Casey does interviews with these guys. That's why we spend a large portion of the show, especially during the season, specifically covering the minor leagues because we see how talented these guys are. And trust me, we aren't the only ones who notice this. The Dodgers know this and other organizations know this as well. So if you don't have the opportunity, which I encourage you to watch the minor leagues, whether that's the Dodgers, whether that's another organization, there is a lot of talented players on there throughout the system, regardless of whether they're on any sort of top 30 list or whatever there's a lot of talented players and organizations are doing whatever they can to acquire as much talent as they can so i think with cleveland i think they were using the process using the knowledge that the dodgers were going to sign yamamoto to try to see if they could squeak their way into the door to get as much talent as they can from this incredibly loaded Dodgers farm system that they have spent a lot of time developing, growing, making sure that these guys are as valuable as they can. If they're able to use them within the Dodgers, that's great. Otherwise, they can use them to keep acquiring star power. So I think with Cleveland, I think they were looking for some sort of way to acquire talent. The Dodgers with the position that they are in right now, we're able to wait a little bit and be smart as far as how they go route 
about their process, make sure they get the right fit for the organization. I think that's what the comment was alluding to. And I think if you understand the situation where the Dodgers are at right now, as far as not just at the major league level, but also throughout the system, throughout the organization as well. I think that was a really good, smart call mm-hmm. because that allow that opens up more avenues and doors instead of forcing your way into some type of trade. Yep, no doubt about it. Great points there, Austin. Roy, good evening again. Roy, our priority should be an outfield bat over pitching. I would agree with that. It has to be a player who hits for average and not swing and miss. Roy and I are on the exact same page. That was one of the things that I was kind of against the Teoscar Hernandez. I know he's hit 25 home runs like every year that he's been a major leaguer. I know he does hit home runs, but the Dodgers already have enough boom and bust, in my opinion. I've been bitching and moaning about the team not being dynamic enough offensively. You look at Teoscar Hernandez, seven stolen bases, right? So basically what you're getting with Teoscar Hernandez is Jason Hayward with not nearly as good a defense, but with a few more home runs. Yeah, and and I think with this, I think this is a product of what we've seen in the past. In the past, we've seen this Dodgers offense, once they got to the postseason, get cold. Now, I think part of that has to do with this, when you're a part of this heavy three true outcome type of players like a Max Muncie, you're going to deal with inconsistency. So how do you go? The question is, how do you go about limiting the inconsistencies? And I think the Dodgers have one of two options that they could go with as far as this uh, feeling the need for the outfield. They could go and try to get a really productive, perhaps a super powerful hitter that would just add another level of depth to where you can't have all of these guys be off. At least some of them have to be uh, hitting for power. Or you can get a guy who's a little bit more of a higher floor that has a little bit more of different skill set, different tools, has the ability to get on base, but also limit some of the strikeouts. There's some guys on this team who strike out a fair bit amount, who provides some stolen bases, who provides a little bit of something dynamic. So I think you have to either go for some type of star player who might yeah. not fit the dynamic role, but would be just another force to be reckoned with in this offense. Or I think you can try to approach it with a little bit of a different strategy just to add something different that that might not go cold in the postseason. It would just give opposing teams, they don't just have to figure out how to get out a bunch of power hitters. They have to worry about, okay, we have to deal with this guy as well. And then if they – if you're getting a guy who steals a lot of bases, perhaps the pitcher might be focused a little bit, even just a slight bit too much on the fact that that player might steal some bases and might throw a mistake to a power hitter as well. So I think just adding side some dynamic piece could be something that the Dodgers look for. Um, in, or they can go ahead and just go for another star player as well. Either one of those two options I think are what the Dodgers have to do. And, bring up some concerns about a guy like a Teoscar Hernandez, who is a very good player. And I think Dodgers fans would be excited for him to come to the Dodgers. I think with him right now, he's likely to receive a multi-year deal, three, perhaps four years. He's going to receive an overpay, I think. 
yeah, I think he's going to receive an overpay, and I don't think that's what the Dodgers want to do, especially because he strikes out a lot. That's going to be something where you would deal with streaks of inconsistency like you get with a Max Muncy. You're going to have some times where he might explode offensively, but you might be dealing with your cold, some cold streaks. And what you don't want is you don't want too many of those guys to where the offense might just go cold during one week of the season. It might be good for the overall large sample size, but during a short, short sample size during the postseason, you might be a little bit concerned about that. So I think just adding some dynamic piece could be a smart move for the Dodgers. But you also have to look for the best player that you can get for this organization and try to get the best talent. I think getting a guy like Randy Rosarino still would be awesome yeah. to get for the Dodgers, and I think everybody would agree with that. However, I don't think that the Rays are in a position right now where they feel like they have to trade Randy Rosarino. So you have to find the right guy and find him for the right price mm -hmm. as well. And I think the Dodgers are in a position where they have options and having options allows you to look everywhere, be smart about your decisions, and make the correct move. And I think with them not rushing to a trade after signing Yamamoto, I think that was a smart thing to do. So kind of my point is what you just said there, Austin, to sum up with you, so you and I are perfectly in agreement here. Either get an all-star caliber player, or if you can't get an all-star caliber player, then get a player that is different than what you already have, that kind of fills in some of the holes as far as all of your strikeout, get get a dynamic type player that can put the ball in play, steal bases, take the extra base, because you don't necessarily have that guy right now. So if it's not an all-star caliber player, go for style of play over anything else. So who they're seeing on the yeah. screen here is Drew Avens. If I had my druthers, I would put him on the 40-man whenever you put guys, whoever it is you put on the 60-day IL. I would give him a run in left field. I'd tell him to be top 10 and run scored. I'd tell him to – send it to take his his strikeout percentage down to about 12 or 13 percent and i would tell him to be great left field defense which we already know he is i personally think he could do it i know every single dodgers fan that's watching this is going to say what the hell are you talking about drew i've seen the guy play that's what i would do i've seen this guy okay so beyond that okay kind of what i'm saying here is even if it's not drew havens the reason why i'm saying him that style of player Drew Avon stole 43 yeah. bases two years ago. He had the 53-game on-base streak, which was the longest in the PCL. He plays awesome defense. He takes the extra base. He know he, He's just that spark plug type of player. So I'm not necessarily even saying him, but go get him. If you don't want to use somebody from your farm system because you want more experience, I understand that, go get a major league version of Drew Avon's. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think uh, that reminds me kind of this past season. So I had the opportunity, as you can see, with some of the gear that I have on today to yeah, watch a nice lot hat. of Great Lakes Loons baseball. And one guy that was an absolute pest for other organizations to deal with was a guy by the name of Taylor Young. Yes. Uh, now you might not Just have got a message from him, Taylor by the way. Young. We're going to have an interview over after after uh, New Year's Day, by the way. Just got a message hey, like five go. minutes ago. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I was just about to say that he's a guy that perfectly exemplifies this type of style and what he can add as far as dynamic play. He's one of those guys who draws a lot of walks, doesn't strike out a whole lot. But last year, he had fixed 56 stolen bases. 
And what that was able to do is that was able to free up the rest of the offense where there was a lot of power. There was a lot of dynamic ability and allow them to be able to contribute, to be able to hit him in, allow them to be able to uh, take advantage of other situations and also force the other team to focus on that aspect as well. Focus on a way to get Taylor Young out. Obviously, T.Y. isn't going to be ready for the big leagues by opening day, or at least I'm not anticipating him to be ready, making that jump from high A to the big leagues. But getting a style of player like that is just going to create something different for other teams to think about. And even if you're able to get them to think about something for just a little bit longer, that could open up some avenues for some of the other sluggers, which you have a lot of on this lineup to be able to hit for power. So I think either adding another slugger, another really good star power player, which I think it should be priority number one for the Dodgers is to get a star player. But if not, they can look as far as adding some dynamic ability to this lineup, something that this lineup doesn't have a ton of, something that this roster doesn't have a ton of. And we've seen that have success in the past in the postseason. The other option, if you want to stay in-house, let's say that you don't go trade for an outfielder. I think another really viable option, and I know some people are going to push back on this, that's totally fine. I think easily, easily, I've seen him out there, he could be a very solid defender in left field. Give Miguel Vargas another chance. Hey, he had the broken hand. Things didn't work out for him. I can't defend any of his production last year. I can't defend any of that, Austin. Not going to try to. He didn't take advantage of his opportunity. So if he doesn't get another opportunity for the Dodgers, I'm okay with that because he had his chance, correct? All I'm mm-hmm. saying is if you want to stay in-house, I think Miguel Vargas is a wonderful option to throw out there in left field Give him a couple of months, see if he can get the hit tool working. And if he does, I think you would make a very, very viable left fielder. He's a good athlete. We've seen the hit tool his whole entire career. Again, not saying you should do it, not saying he deserves it or any of that, not saying that you should do that. Instead, Matter of fact, I've been screaming, go get a left fielder for how long? I'm not saying that you should. I'm just saying if you stay in-house, I do think Miguel Vargas would be one of your best options. Yeah, I think he certainly is up there as far as the options. And that, that shows the that the Dodgers do have options as far as how they want to fill their left fielder. And let's not forget how highly thought of Miguel Vargas was even just this time last year. We can't defend what he was the production that he had last season. We talk about these guys needing runway at the big league level. He got his runway and he really struggled with that. But the Dodgers do have the option to try to run that experiment again. They have the ability to see if he give him another chance, see if he's able to stick it out in left field. And if that's not able to work, they also have the trade deadline to where they could acquire a left field talent if they don't see any sort of good options on the trade market or in free agency right now. So there's no rush for the Dodgers to get a left fielder, which means you can be strategic and you can take the chance that is the best for you on the trade market. But I think with Miguel Vargas, he still has a ton of talent. He still has that ability, that right center field gap type of swing that he can get. I think if he's able to get back, if he's been 
And I know he has been working really hard during this offseason to get to the type of player that he was. If he's able to get his health back, I think he can be a really productive player. Still, the Dodgers have the option to give him that opportunity, or they can look to see who would provide a little bit of a better floor as far as a left fielder and try to add something else. Dodgers do have options, which is a good thing because just a couple of weeks ago when they hadn't signed anybody in free agency, they have needs. Now they have options. Yeah, that's exactly right. Needs versus wants. They have wants right now. You could also always throw Chris Taylor and left field or move Mookie Betts back out to right field. Another option that, hey, going to be back this year, one of your favorites, Austin, Andy Pajas, don't forget that he led the minor leagues for the Dodgers two years ago in home runs, got promoted to AAA last year, and hurt his shoulder his very first game with AAA Oklahoma City. Andy Pajas is just a wonderfully talented young man since. Last year he actually dropped 25 to 35 pounds, was playing center field a lot last year to just kind of make himself more marketable. So another guy, again, we're just talking about if you don't go get in a Rose Arena or a major or Teoscar Hernandez, then if you want to keep Chris Taylor as your utility guy, which I would prefer, then who would you put out there? Well, I think it's going to be either I think it's going to be either Miguel Vargas, Drew Avens, Andy Pajes, or Michael Bush. I think it would be one of those four guys. Yeah, and I think it's important for Dodgers fans not to forget about Andy Pajes or not to just easily kind of throw him into some sort of trade discussions, even though he hasn't made his major league debut. And even though he missed a lot of time this past season, Andy Pajes is an incredibly talented player. He's one of those guys who is a big-time power hitter, has the Great Lakes Loons all-time record as far as home runs, both in a single season and during his career. Uh, you're talking about a guy who also walks a lot, doesn't strike out for a ton given the level of player that he is. A lot of fly is. balls. And, yeah, and I've been doing a lot of research, and uh, hopefully there'll be some sort of piece about this. Uh, coming into the near future, but just with the level of production that he had in 2021, which he had a 150 something WRC plus, just even being in that category is incredibly rare and is a very good indicator of a big league player and possibly an all-star caliber player as well. Andy Pajes has all the tools. He has all the potential to be a major league player. If he comes back, if he is healthy, and if he starts off the ground running, especially if you decide to go with a Miguel Vargas or a Michael Bush in left field, and Andy Pajes is just knocking on the door, and let's say Miguel Vargas struggles, you could give Pajes that opportunity. And again, you want to have guys and you need to have guys on this roster who are fairly cheap and controllable. That allows you to have flexibility to fill other avenues of need when you need to, to get a Yoshinobu Yamamoto. That is the gift of the Shohei Otani contract yep. is that it allows you to get other players as well. That also comes when you bring guys up through the organization as well. And I think Andy Pajes has 
all the talent in the world to be a starting outfielder at the major league position. I think he has all the tools. I think it's going to come down to, is he going to be ready and do the Dodgers decide that they want to prioritize him and give him some sort of runway? I think they're going to have to do that with at least some of the minor league players, because if you give everybody on the 26 man roster or even going to 32 players in the roster, major league contracts, I'm to major league deals, don't have anybody pre-arbitration. It's going to be very expensive and it's going to create little wiggle room as far as the roster, no matter how great of a contract Shohei Otani has. So I think giving a guy like Andy Paez could be a really good option if they decide to go that route, and especially if they decide to give Miguel Vargas, Michael Bush, first dibs as far mm-hmm. as that left field position. And then if that doesn't work out, moving to plan B with Andy Pajes, if he's ready or Ryan at Ward, the trade maybe. deadline going to get. And some of the other guys in Oklahoma City, too, yeah. Yeah, and the, the advantage, I say Andy Pajes over Ryan Ward only because he's already on the 40-man roster. So that would be a lot easier move for the Dodgers to Meg. So just some options there that are outside the box. If the Dodgers don't, again, we all want the Dodgers to go, first of all, to go out and get an all-star left fielder. We all want that, right? May not happen. The Dodgers may want to keep all their pitching prospects, keep all their pitching capital. They may think they're good enough how it is. So they might sit on what they are right now. So at that point, who's going to be in the outfield for the Dodgers? Because I don't think Chris Taylor will be your everyday left fielder. So your options would be then Miguel Vargas, Michael Bush, Drew Avens, Andy Pajes, Ryan Ward. I think they would be in that order right there. And you've seen all those guys, except for Wardo. I didn't put Wardo in this video because we've shown a lot of him, and he is not on the 40-man at this point. So, okay, let's get back to some more of the comments. We have a bunch of them. Okay, so we have a question. Went from Soldier Boy 3064. When will they replace Austin Barnes? They are never going to DFA Austin Barnes. They the, the next time that they have a chance for him not to be on the roster will simply be whenever his contract is up and they just won't renew the contract. I would imagine immediately he will go into the front office somewhere with the Dodgers or into some kind of roving instructor, instructor at the minor league level, kind of like a, an Austin Chubb has done this year, or maybe he takes one of the manager spots at the minor leagues. I don't think that would happen. I think he would either be a front office guy or some kind of roving guy. But I don't. I, I think Austin Barnes is with the Dodgers until his contract is up. Would you agree, Austin? Yeah, he has, I believe, one more year, yes. de- one more year left on his deal. And I guess the question that you have with a guy like an Austin Barnes, let's say that you just go ahead and DFA Austin Barnes, who do you replace him with? Well, that would be Hunter Fiducia, right? You have Hunter Fiducia, you'd call him up to be your backup catcher. But where is the depth outside of that? The other guy on the 40-man roster is Diego Cartaya, who has not played a triple-A game and struggled quite a bit in double-A. You don't really have a ton of depth right now at the catcher position. You could potentially bring in, sign some guys on a minor league deal, but are those guys going to bring the value that Austin Barnes mm-hmm. brings? I know Austin Barnes doesn't have a ton of value, especially offensively right now at the plate at the big league level. He is a good clubhouse piece. He does work well with the pitching staff. I know he is frustrating. You get He only plays a third or so of the games right now. And I think that where the Dodgers are at, especially at the depth at the catcher position, they have a lot of good depth. 
but it is down towards the lower levels of the minor league system. They don't have a ton of depth at the upper levels of the minor league system as well to where just getting rid of an Austin Barnes and not making any sort of corresponding move, which there's not a whole lot of catchers on the market right now to replace him. Um, I think that wouldn't be, I I think it's going to be difficult for the Dodgers to do that. And I don't think that tomorrow they should just DFA Austin Barnes without any sort of backup plan. So right now, Austin Barnes is the backup catcher. He's built up so much respect, which again, the respect should be what you're able to do on the playing field. But I think with Austin Barnes, I think he still brings at least a little bit of value to the clubhouse and what he's able to do with the pitching staff, even though value that he brings offensively is not really there. So I think right now Dodgers are going to be with Austin Barnes for one more season and then they're going to have a bunch of different depth options through their farm system that have come up that can fill the role of the backup catcher, whether that's Hunter Fiducia or some other guy comes up and earns that position as well. They have a lot of depth in the system, just not at the upper levels of the system to where it makes sense right now. Seeing Diego Cartaya throwing a runner out there. You saw him hit just a minute ago. So kind of the question with Austin Barnes isn't, necessarily is he good enough to be a major league starter it is is he better than any quad a type catcher like a tony walters a patrick mazika or i, I never get austin wins the guy that you came in that you got last year in df8 is he better than that type of guy so i'm going to say it again I, I think if it goes to be like a situation to where you need like say six weeks covered i think the dodgers would use hunter fiducia in that scenario I think from a game-to-game perspective, pop in here, pop in there, Austin Barnes is your guy that gets those type of of outings. So I do think right now that Hunter Fiducia, in a lot of ways as far as on the field, is considered the number two catcher for the Dodgers because I think if it turns into an extended period of time, he would be the guy. And then I think the Dodgers would go get another quad A catcher. Austin Barnes would be the backup guy. That way, if Hunter Fiducia gets nicked up, then you can bring that quad A catcher back up. Now you have Austin Barnes and a quad A catcher. So I think from that perspective, it makes it to where what's the point in DFAing Austin Barnes? Because I don't think he would be your long-term starter if you got into a long-term scenario anyways. I think that would be Hunter Fiducia. Yeah, I think that's right. And we talk about a lot of these guys. It can be difficult, especially when you're getting very limited playing time. With the Dodgers right now, the designated hitter position is going to be filled by Shohei Otani. So even for a guy like a Hunter Fiducia, who would be, let's say that he's your backup catcher, he might play every third day and with him he's a he's going to play basically catcher exclusively and so he's not going to get the extended run time that he's needing to right now i think austin barnes would be better in that position right now now if they have six eight weeks where they need a backup catcher one of the catchers is injured i think hunter fiducia could fill in that role and fill in it really well especially with the production that he showed last year he earned a spot on the 40-man roster and there's reason why the dodgers added him there um but right now i think with austin barnes i think it 
frustrating for Dodgers fans because they expect more out of players at the major league level. He is not filling to those expectations. Uh, but right now they are stuck with him. And I think I would anticipate him still being on the 26 man roster to open the season next year. You have one more deal. He only has to play every third game or so. And who knows? He has shown in the past that he can be productive. So maybe he can get back to that. Uh, we'll have to see what the Dodgers, as far as their plans are concerned, because I know that they are working with him to try to get him to at least be ready for this next season. And with the catcher position, it's also important to know that it depends on what your priority is at the catchers. We know catchers are not the offensive juggernauts that other positions are as well. Defense in game planning as far as the pitching staff is a huge and important role. And Austin Barnes' experience at the big league level shouldn't be neglected as far as his ability to work with a lot of these pitchers to the ability to know how to game plan at the major league level. That is something also important to keep in mind. Again, not neglecting the fact that he has struggled offensively, but also pointing to the fact that there are other aspects of the game and I, right now, with the depth that the Dodgers have as catcher, I think right now it makes sense to keep Austin Barnes unless you have another plan to get another catcher, whether that's a quad A or whether that's getting like a Gary Sanchez or somebody like that on free agency only to a one year yeah. deal. I think they could explore that, but I think right now the game plan or at least the priority is at other positions. And I think right now they would be okay with Austin Barnes as the backup catcher. Because they don't want Hunter Fiducia sitting on the bench. They want Hunter Fiducia playing every single day and getting three to four to five at-bats every day. Hunter Fiducia going to major league level and only playing every third game, that would likely be a disaster for a rookie. Trust me. Not First of all, being a rookie is tough enough to begin with. And then if you're only going to get to play every third game, that, that would be just monumentally a bad situation for Hunter Fiducia. So they have to have some type of veteran that they don't expect a whole lot of out of in that in that backup catcher spot to play that every third day. And Austin Barnes, like like we have a comment here from William, says he's a club guy. So when you look at all the actual elements to it, it makes some sense to keep Austin Barnes from that perspective. Roy Estrada says, when are we going to consider moving uh, Caleb Ferguson and Alex Vesia? Good question. Uh, if you that, find better lefties is- out there. It's not going to be until you find a lefty that you're convinced is a better fit for this organization. Who would those lefties be? Yeah, and that that is the good question. So that brings up the question of, okay, why don't the Dodgers go after the top left-handed reliever on the market and like a Josh Hader who has shown a ton of success, but then you worry about him getting a five, six-year deal. Do you want to give that type of deal for a left or for a relief pitcher in general with that type of contract? So then let's say that you're not interested in giving a long-term contract to a relief pitcher, which we've already talked about. There is a lot of volatility in the relief in relievers so then you look at other avenues as well there's not a ton of options out there and with Caleb Ferguson and Alex Vestia they have shown at points in the past where they have been really productive they are still under team control as well I don't I think they can utilize those guys those guys don't work they do have arms at the upper levels of the minor leagues left-handed relief pitchers we talked about john rooney we talked about alec gamboa they do have those options 
or they also have the trade deadline as well, which I think for a left-handed reliever, if they are needing a really good left-handed reliever, I think instead of going out in free agency and getting a guy to a really long-term huge contract, I think mm-hmm. going in to the trade route after either Alex Vessier or Caleb Ferguson, let's say that they don't do well during the season, that becomes an area of need, then you can explore that aspect then. But I don't think right now you are rushing to get another left-handed reliever. And again, relief pitching is so volatile. I know that was brought up earlier by Hep C. Hey, Alex Vesey was great young one year. He's the perfect example, right? Alex Vesey was great one year. The next year, not as great. Yancy Almonte, perfect example. Lights out a couple years ago, struggled last year. So even if you go get a guy, Austin, that was really good last year, Honestly, the odds would say that because he's a reliever, he's probably due not to be as good this next year. It's just such a volatile situation. Yeah, it's very volatile. And we've seen so many examples of guys signing to even just minor league deals and having a ton of success, like even outside the organization, like for the Tigers with Tyler Holton. He was somebody that they had acquired on a minor league deal uh, signed either that or by DFA, and he became one of the better left-handed relievers in the game last season. You can look at different avenues, sign guys to minor league deals, work with them, and see what you got. Or it could be that Alex Vesia and Caleb Ferguson could be really good again because yeah. they've showcased that in the past this, be good. this upcoming season. So um, it's so hard predict- to predict that. So I think getting rid of of these guys and not having a large quantity. I think having large quantity of relievers is better than having guys with a small number of guys with a huge track record just because of the volatility. You want to have depth. You want to have a lot of different options. And then you can see from there how these guys are doing and then address those areas of need as needed throughout the season. Again, all of the needs don't have to be filled during the offseason. They do have the trade deadline, which relievers do become available during the trade deadline, and so they can pursue that avenue. Then you don't have to make a move right now, and I think Vesia and Ferguson, they have shown ability in the past, and they could be still be productive going into next season. I, I would at least work in the position that I'm at, again, just a guy with a microphone talking on on YouTube, would go with Vesia, would go with Ferguson, see what they got, and then, all, then make some sort of difference path going forward as you see, after you see uh, what they are able to produce and how they are doing this season. Danielle makes a great point, too. Dodgers need to hang on to Sheehan. And then also is a left-handed relief spot – is that an impactful enough position on this Dodgers team to really go out and break the bank or give up prospects for? I mean, is that position in itself an impactful position enough to really go out and try to better yourselves better than Alex Vesia and or Caleb Ferguson when you're not guaranteed that's going to happen anyway? So it's more complicated yeah. sometimes than it seems. Oscar Vargas says Klasse and Bieber would send a big chunk of the Dodgers – Major League Ready Prospect Arms, no doubt about it. That's why they didn't do it at the 11th hour. I tell you all the time, if you watch Dodgers Daily, this this front office is one of the most disciplined. They will not make used cards deal at the 11th hour. They will not do it. Now, they will spend if it makes sense for them. They will overpay if they feel like the overpay is going to help them win a 
World Series, we've seen this, but they're not going to get fleeced just because it's the 11th hour and they're desperate. So, okay, Andrew Friedman was not at the press conference today. We have a couple comments about that. Craig says, I expect the Dodgers to make a, a trade before Saturday because the holiday is Monday. Yeah, that could easily happen. I am down for to trade for Classe. This is Allison Marie. Allison, thank you so much for joining every Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thank you so much for joining Dodgers Dogs as part of the Dodgers Daily Network. I am down to trade for Classe, low annual value and locked up for five years. That's the good side of trading for Classe. The bad side is you're going to give up a Sheehan or a Frasso or a Knack or a River Ryan, probably one of your catchers, probably one of your better lower minor league prospects as well. So the good side is, hey, yes, not even an arbitration for the next three years, $2.5 million next year. He's probably the most team-friendly contract of any player in baseball, right, whenever you kind of evaluate everything he gives you. But because he's one of the most team-friendly contracts, <laughs> they're not going to give him up for anything very cheap, right? That's the downside to it. Yeah, yeah it, it is a – he has incredible value. There's no doubt about that, and he's a great pitcher. It comes down to the cost of acquiring that and whether that's the smart deal that the Dodgers have to evaluate. And perhaps you have a different opinion than Casey and I does Perfect. as far as that weight Perfect. analysis. And we love those different opinions as well, and we love having different perspectives with this. Um, I think that is a decision that the Dodgers are going to have to make. And it could be that they're happy with Miguel Vargas. They're happy with Michael Bush, one of those guys in left field. And they think the biggest area of need is a relief pitcher, another guy to fortify the bullpen. Yeah. And so Class A could be the option. So I can see where the Dodgers could be interested. It's just not where I would make the decision, nor do I think the Dodgers are desperate in a place of desperation right now to where they have to make that move so i think we have to look at it from all different mm -hmm. aspects to just to get an overall big picture and then once you do that the dodgers can decide and make some sort of decision from there as far as whether they want to pursue a trade or not to pursue a trade and we can all have our opinions again let's go back to the dodgers entered the offseason with needs i think they enter the new year with wants so whenever you're, you've moved into the stage of wants instead of needs, that's when you go back to don't have to overpay. Again, Dodgers had to overpay to get Glass now. They had to overpay to get Yoshinobu Yamamoto. They had to overpay to get Shohei, although they had all the deferred money and they're going to make more money back than they could ever think about with him. Still overpays. So you had to overpay to get to the position that you're in right now. Now you're in the want position, not the need position. Don't have to overpay. Now, there's going to be slight overpay for anybody you get because that's what the market is at this point with the wild card because so many teams have a chance to make that wild card. So when I say overpay, I mean such a gross overpay that we've never seen the Dodgers do before. You don't have to do that anymore. So now you only go get a left fielder, a closer, a fifth starter if it totally makes sense and it's totally a package that you feel comfortable with. Yeah, I, th I think you're right with that. And I th that seems to be kind of a theme that we've been running with yep. with this show is needs uh, versus wants. And the Dodgers are in a stage of they want these type of players. They want to fill these positions, but they don't necessarily have yep. to. And so and when you're in that position, you're in a very good position. And the Dodgers have had an incredible 
offseason so far. Today with Yoshinobu Yamamoto officially becoming a Los Angeles Dodger, uh, a lot of good stuff has happened, but a lot more that can be done for the Dodgers. Yeah, Hep C makes a great point, kind of to echo what we're saying, what you specifically said, Austin. Dodgers found Brazier from the heap, the scrap heap, and he had a better overall season than Class A did. So the bullpen is the one spot where you can kind of shop at the five and dime store and find and, and use your capital. Elsewhere, we have a couple more minutes here. It's been a wonderful show, another wonderful crowd here. We're going to try to get through these comments we have left. Allison Marie, thank you so much for joining again every Wednesday, Friday, and uh, Sunday night. I would rather not trade Sheehan, though. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's the first guy. Now that now that Pepio is off the board, trust me, the first guy everybody says is, how about Sheehan? And that's the first hell no from the Dodgers. At least so far it has been. I just don't I, – I, I came into this, if you go back to our show, saying the only untouchable was Bobby Miller. I still say that. The Dodgers would trade Emmett Sheehan for the right package. There's no doubt about it because they have depth. But it would take a unbelievable package, unbelievable return like in a Rose Arena, something like that for the Dodgers even to even start thinking about that. Roy says his wish is Randy a Rose Arena left. Okay. Uh, Hep C, he was better than Classe the second half last year. Yep. Okay. Brazier is 35. Yeah. He's going to get his bag. I'm glad for him. He's from Wichita Falls, which is just south of me down by the lot in Oklahoma area. And that's actually where Coach Holt is from. And that Wichita Falls area has really good baseballs, and I'm really familiar with it. They bring a lot of their prospect teams up to Oklahoma to play in Oklahoma City. So I know a lot of Wichita Falls guys. And so, I, you know, I, I really root for him because he's from that area. So I'm glad that he came and got that bag, uh, that great season. Now he's going to get that bag, Ryan Brazier we're talking about. Brazier had 44 yeah, saves. Yep. Austin? Yeah, which I think we should also mention uh, congratulations to Shelby Miller on yeah. getting his bag in Detroit as well. It came in was part of the Dodgers, signed to uh, a deal with the Dodgers, was able to have a really successful season. That is something that the Dodgers do really well, is able to acquire these relievers, turn them into something good, and then they are Mm -hmm. able to get paid. And so this should be a selling point that the Dodgers have, trying to get some relievers to minor league contracts, knowing that the Dodgers – because of the coaches that they have, because of the development staff that they have, they can turn these guys into something really valuable, and then they can go and make some money on the free agent market as well. And we've seen examples of that with Shelby Miller Mm -hmm. and with Ryan Brazier once he gets signed. Uh, it's, It's really cool. And that just creates another option for the Dodgers to pursue, too, if they want to add to the reliever depth. Yeah, Andrew McDaniel acknowledging how cool your last name is. Hey, Brubaker, just sounds like a name you sit around in the office afterwards drinking a beer with a cigar with your feet up on your desk. Hey, that Brubaker had a hell of a game tonight, didn't he? (laughs) That's funny. I I really appreciate that. (laughs) That's funny. Okay, John says, love Brazier. Allison says, hater cost draft pick stuff, and we want a worse reliever for five times the salary. I love these kind of conversations. Trust me, this is exactly what happens in the war room. You get all these thoughts together, everybody gets their opinions out, and then they come up with the best plan. SC says Brazier is picked up for the minimum. Class A would take a Randy or Rosarina package. Yep. If the Dodgers don't get an arm, Yankees will take him, says Mr. Classic. Andrew says yeah, Brubaker, that's a pitcher's name. Okay, so Mr. Classic, the Yankees already got fleeced on Yamamoto, so they're not going so they're gonna try harder for Bieber and Class A. Yep. Allison Marie, if see, I wouldn't get in a bidding contest. If if the package fits, then get them. I definitely would not get in any kind of contest with anybody else. 
with either one of those two. If $20 million a year, Allison says, then the added salary to the luxury tax compared to $2.5 million this year and get an all-star closer that's twenty five, and let Phillips get the other high-leverage innings. So Allison's making the case for getting Class A. We have other posters that are making the case for not getting them. Now you see how difficult these decisions become, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, there's I'm no black and white yes or no right or wrong answer to these. It's all about opinion. Yeah, and I'm glad there's there's people taking the other side than what we are. One hundred percent. And that that just strengthens uh, our thought process as well because it provides us with an alternative viewpoint. And I think that's something that both Casey and I are, are provide, and something that's really cool is we don't live in the Los Angeles area. We don't even live in California. We live in other parts of the country. Yeah. So we get a little bit of an outside perspective uh, for this. And so being able to hear different perspectives, I think is something that is really valuable, really important, and just creates an overall, just better sense of community and leads to better decisions as well, because it allows you to think through all of these different decisions. So yeah, great point about class a not costing a whole lot and being an all-star level closer, especially in comparison to class a versus a Josh Hader type who would cost 20 million per year against the luxury tax. I think it would be much better to get a class a who is much cheaper and wouldn't cost as much as far as the dollar amount against the luxury tax over a guy like a Josh Hader. Um, it would cost a lot to get Class A. And so the question is, is the prospect capital best used to get a Class A? And so that's where the fun debate gets to be had. Yep. Okay. We're going to have a couple more questions here. We're going to get out of here. I'm going to get to my Oklahoma State game. Fernando, hey, I wanted to answer his question. What are the Dodgers going to do stopping the stolen bases? Next year, nothing. They have fixed that in the system, though. At the single A level, Rancho, every one of their catchers was throwing everybody out. And Tyrone Lorenzo. One of their catching prospects there had a sub-1-8 pop time in a game. So that that particular situation is being addressed by the organization. Not going to do a whole lot about it next year, I don't think, because the Dodgers don't really believe in, in slide steps and all that kind of thing. They'd rather get the hitter out. So for the, for the immediate time, I don't think there's anything you're going to do about it next year. But I think it is something that throughout the organization it is starting to get some – some head steam. Hey, Sean, good evening. Matt, Barnes has one of the worst arms of baseball, too. No doubt about it. Bush Vargas. Yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to make another point. One, Lorenzo, not only does he have the sub-1-8 pop time, also 155 WRC plus yeah. this past season in Rancho. Also, we've seen the Dodgers in the farm system be able to adapt to areas of need or areas of weakness in the past. You look at guys like a Yorbit Vivas, who's no longer in the organization, but he hadn't been a stolen base guy in the past, added that element. You talk about the Great Lakes Loons, who in 2022, probably the worst stolen base, the least amount of stolen bases in the Midwest League, become the most amount of stolen base from season to season and I think with that these areas of needs especially uh with throwing runners out I think that's becoming more and more of a priority as far as the farm system figuring out ways to do that better these areas are being addressed however with these areas especially of weakness they can take time to see the fruits of that labor but I as you stated they are addressing a lot of these scenarios Daryl Jackson, good evening. Daryl, I wouldn't trade Sheehan, Frasso, and Ryan. If you don't trade one of them, you're not going to get any kind of headliner. 
to get a Randy a Rosarina or even a Shane Beaver, a Bieber or a Classe, you're going to have to give up one of those guys, I would have to imagine. So, hey, if the Dodgers say we're just not trading any of these guys, then what they're telling you is they're, they're going to go either in the free agency route, like with a Lucas Giolito or a Teoscar Hernandez, and they're just not going to give away prospects, or they're going to go to the lower tier type of just average veteran type where you don't have to give up a headliner type prospect. Okay, Grand Admiral Shanahan, thank you for joining Lux, Rosario, Tim Anderson, Adamas. Which shortstop do you want? Honestly, I would choose Lux. I've seen a lot of him. Dodgers should only trade Bush, Cartaya, or Vargas. Yeah, I think if you do that again, you're not going to get a headliner back for that. You'll get a good player, but not necessarily a headliner type of player. If not, sit back and relax. Dodgers are good enough. I agree with you. See, that's a great that is such a great perspective. Hey, man, give either give away the prospects you can absorb that you want to give away or don't do it at all. That's a great perspective. Love that. Yeah, and the Dodgers also have the option to play these young guys and be able to give them the runway. We, we talk about them needing to fill 800 to 900 innings in the starting pitching market, and they could go out and get a starting pitcher through free agency like a G. Lito, like a Hung Jin Ryu, or like some other starter to fill in 100 to 20 to 150 of those innings or they could utilize those innings and give some actual runway to a lot of these guys in the system to give a Landon Neck, to give a Kyle Hurt, to give Emmett Sheehan, Gavin Stone, all of these different guys runway at the major league level. They do have that option. We've talked about it. These guys are very talented and they would be cheap as far as the cost against the luxury tax. And in left field, they do have the option to play Michael Bush, who does not deserve to play in minor league baseball next season. He deserves be a crime. to get actual run time at the major league level. Or a Miguel Vargas, who has a history of being a really highly touted prospect because of the production that he has shown. They do have the option to play a lot of these young guys. And sometimes the best move is not to go out and get a free agent, but to trust the system that you have and trust the young guys that you have within this system. So I think you can be okay with the guys in your system going ahead and playing with these guys and allowing them to get some runtime. I think this team, no matter what, is going to win a lot of games and still make the postseason, even if you do nothing the rest of the post rest of the offseason. So I think you can give these guys runtime, even if you the plan is to make some trades at the trade deadline. I think having that perspective, being content with what you have right now, not content in a sense like we don't want to do anything or we're not going to try to do anything, but content with the reality that these guys are incredibly talented and they need at some point to get some time at the big leagues, get some big league run time. I think that can be an option that the Dodgers could pursue. So I think it would be great. I think it would make great headlines for the Dodgers to go after a star player. They do have the option, though, of going in-house with these incredibly talented players, which we have been talking about for years as far as how talented these guys are. They could give these guys some options. They could give these guys some runway at the big league level. The Dodgers are in a great position right now, and that's a really good point of being content with where the Dodgers are at, which is another perspective that perhaps not a lot of Dodgers fans have, but – I think is a valid perspective uh, as far as the options that the Dodgers could have, as well as 
there is a valid perspective that the Dodgers should just go all out in pursuit of a World Series mm-hmm. title and get as much star power. I'm there. I think both of those are good, really good options for the Dodgers. And I think with the position that they are in, they can pursue either one of those options. Yeah, Dan Inspiration making some great points here. Giolito and Teoscar is solid enough. Those two would be free agent pickups, which means you keep all of your prospect capital. You have all your depth, and, and now you're really great. So what a wonderful man, Dan Inspiration. Make sure and come back and talk some more in this lobby. What great comments Dan Inspiration has had again every Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. And another great comment from Paul. Man, I'm telling you, I say it every time. Dodgers Daily Community, not the biggest, but it is the most intelligent baseball crowd out there. Paul says people forget the Dodgers can also go back and get the players that they've lost in the past, either free agency or traded away. They they love doing that, the Kike Hernandez type guys. Yeah, they 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 have so many options right now, which means they are in a great position, which has been kind of the theme of the show today. The options that the Dodgers have, uh, yeah, they they could certainly pursue that as well. Yep. Okay, man, we went about ten minutes over, but that's okay. We had a lot to talk about. We had a lot to say, right? So I know it's yeah. getting late on in Michigan time where you're at Austin. So any final thoughts before we get out of here? Just a reminder too, we've had a wonderful crowd. Hey, the, the we do have the Super Chat ready. We've had some wonderful donations tonight. Just hit that dollar button right next to the chat if you'd like to give $0.10, cents, $0.50, cents, a dollar, $5, whatever you'd like. Every Super Chat goes towards Austin and I's gas or maybe spring training. It all goes right back into the coverage that we that we work so hard to give you. Yeah, it certainly any sort of donation goes towards that. And we are so grateful in that, and especially in this season where there is a lot of reflection, where there's a lot of gratefulness that we have during. Obviously, Christmas was a couple of days ago, but there is a lot of things to be grateful about in the world of Dodgers right now. Uh, Dodgers are in a phenomenal position at the big league level, and they have the ability to go ahead and go out and get other areas of need and their terms as well. So there's a lot of good things as far as the position where the Dodgers are at. And as we are getting closer to turning the page on the new year, as we are getting closer and closer to 2024, that means that baseball is getting closer and closer to being happening. I know here in Michigan, we are getting really excited for the minor league season for the high affiliate of the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Great Lakes Loons. It is 100 days until opening day for the Great Lakes Loons for a lot of the minor league affiliates, which means it's even less for the Los Angeles Dodgers, even less for the start of spring training. Once the new year kind of rolls into it, I know, especially here in Michigan where there's snow and there's a lot of cold, uh, it can feel like winter takes a while, but baseball is right around the corner and we're getting closer and closer to that. So I'm grateful for that. Grateful for the wonderful audience that we have that have shown so much support, especially over the past couple of weeks. We are so incredibly grateful for that and so excited for what this channel, what this show is able to be and what it's becoming and the kind of content that we're able to provide for you. Just a lot to be grateful about a lot to be excited about and we, as we anticipate the turn of the page, as we anticipate 2024, there, there's just so much to be excited about, and we can't wait to see what happens. And baseball is going to happen sooner than you think. 
No doubt about it. I want to echo everything Austin said about the wonderful crowd, the wonderful support. It is so humbling for Austin and I. We started this from the scratch, from ground up, from scratch, and we are so humbled and so honored that you guys choose to spend your time with us. Leave the wonderful comments and conversations. It is so fantastic, and it is so humbling, and it is flattering, to be honest with you, and we just so appreciate it. So keep coming back every Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. So until then, until next time, until Friday evening, go Dodgers.